Right now, in its current format, Georgia could run the table in the SEC, could win the SEC championship, and never host a college football playoff game in Athens, Georgia. Hello and welcome in. It's always college football. Today is Monday, May 8th, and we appreciate you being here with us. Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, Jake's here. I'm Greg McElroy. Thank you so much for taking a little time out of your busy off-season schedule to dial into some big picture college football discussion. Today, we've taken some time, we digested, we thought about some of the tweaks that we would make if we were in charge. We're going to take a deep dive into the college football playoff formatting when the 12-team playoff arrives here just two seasons from now. This is for 24 and 25. Those are the two college football seasons that will be impacted. We're going to hit it from every possible angle. Scheduling is a huge part of the conversation. I'm going to tell you there's a couple aspects of it that I just don't like. I want to see them changed immediately, but we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think they did an adequate job up to this point, laying it out for us and providing us with that college football holiday that we wanted on New Year's Day. We're also going to take some questions from your mailbag, talk about some non-conference games. We're going to talk a little bit about already. Here we are in May, and we're talking about a playoff hypothetical. So you don't want to miss that. And Auburn has a new quarterback, and Kansas State has locked down Chris Climate. So a busy show today. Let's not waste any time. Let's talk about it. The 12-team playoff format has officially been unveiled. Now, this happened a little while ago. We're a little late to the party here. We want to take some time to digest it. What do we like? What do we not like? What type of adjustments do we think need to be made when evaluating it down the road? Now, a few things to take into account, right? Let's just remember for those that are unaware of exactly where we're at. The 12-team playoff format will go into place starting with the 2024 season, meaning that it'll have the 24 season, the 25 season, and then in 26, we wipe the slate clean and essentially start from scratch. Now, at that point, the television rights deal expires. Will there be additional bidders beyond that of ESPN? That's something that we need to try to figure out. We also know that it's a nice trial period. We have two years to essentially figure out what do we like, what do we not like, and how do we need to adjust it moving forward to best serve the players, the teams, the fans. That's the big thing. We need to make sure we continue to prioritize the fan experience. And there are parts of this initial proposal that I think leaves a little to be desired. Let's go through it, if you will. In 2024, the games are as follows. The first round game, remember, that's on campus in a 12-team playoff format. The four teams ranked one, two, three, and four will receive the first round by, meaning teams five, six, seven, eight will host teams nine, 10, 11, 12 on their home field. Now, remember, in order to be qualified for a first round bye, you must win your conference championship. So any at-large team will be participating in the first round games. That means Notre Dame. 
That means any team that doesn't win their conference championship, meaning conference championships still carry weight. Some people don't think they matter as much because of the ultimate goals to get to the playoff. Then sure, you don't have to win your conference championship to make it in. But obviously your path is a little bit easier if you receive the first round bye. So the first round games, you have one Friday game. That's on December 20th of 2024. That's a one game deal on Friday. Then on Saturday, you have a triple header. That's Saturday, December 21st. Now, college football playoff executive director, Bill Hancock, who's been at the forefront of the BCS and of course has been heavily involved for the last nine years, with the college football playoff as the executive director. I think he does a great job. I really do. I think he does a great job. I think the college football playoff does a phenomenal job. I'm not saying that as a mouthpiece. You know me. If I don't like something, which there are parts of this proposal that I really don't like, I have no problem telling you this. But I do think Bill Hancock and company have done a good job of creating interest in the college football playoff. I think they're thoughtful. I think the things that they've done up to this point, for the most part, have been pretty good decisions. Not all, but most. They will, of course, this is a significant change. In the first round games that'll be played at one on Friday, triple header on Saturday, you're going head to head against the NFL. Now, a lot of people have pushed back on this, saying we need to steer clear of the NFL. They are the biggest, baddest dude on the block. Yes, they are from a television ratings perspective. Nobody touches the NFL. And because of the Sports Broadcasting Act of 1961, the NFL is prevented from playing games on Fridays and on Saturdays through the second Saturday in December. That protects high school games and that ultimately prior to this protected college games. But of course, this is beyond the second Saturday in December. We're talking about the third Saturday in December, it being December 21st, and you will be going head-to-head -head against NFL games. I don't care. I don't care. Now, everybody and their brother... And now, look, I'm a diehard college football fan, but guess what? I like the NFL, too. I think the NFL is the highest quality of football that's played on planet Earth. It's the best players it's the best execution. It's the most incredible talent that you can put on the gridiron. But I don't care. Why? Because we're going up against the regular season. And I'm not saying the regular season doesn't matter. It does. It absolutely does, especially those last couple of weeks of the regular season where playoff positioning and jockeying is going on. But guess what? There are bad teams in the NFL. If you don't believe me, Ask the Houston Texans the last couple of years. If you don't believe me, ask some of the other teams that have been in the mix for the first overall pick. There is bad football that's played on Sundays and at the end of December played on Saturdays. So what would you rather watch as a football fan? An average divisional game between two NFL teams? Or do you want to watch a winner-go-home playoff game with the highest imaginable stakes. Now, will we win that day as far as television viewership? No, we won't. I think it's unlikely that we win going head-to-head -head against the NFL. And the NFL will always rate higher for the most part than college football. But let's at least try. It's a playoff game.
in a unique home field environment, which could very well pit Ohio State against Notre Dame. That's a possible matchup. It could pit Alabama against Washington. It could pit any of these teams in a home field environment with so much on the line. I don't care if the NFL plays on Saturdays. I want college football to also play on Saturdays. And if we have to go toe-to-toe with them, so be it. Some people will watch the NFL. Some people will watch college. Who cares? Let's throw our best stuff at them because the playoff is the best stuff we have. Burn your last piece of toast. Avocado's gone bad. Or is the hot sauce bottle completely empty? Try grocery delivery from DoorDash. You'll get everything you want delivered when you need it right to your door. You've trusted DoorDash to deliver your restaurant favorites, and now you can get grocery delivery that actually delivers too. With thousands of grocery stores to choose from, you'll find the best in your neighborhood and boost your local economy with each and every order. You'll get exactly what you ordered or we'll make it right. So sit back and enjoy the quality groceries just like you picked them yourself. Get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to $10 value when you use code ACF at checkout. Limited time offer, terms apply. That's 50% off up to $10 on a $15 minimum subtotal and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code ACF. Don't forget, that's code ACF for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. All right, moving on to the quarterfinals. One aspect of the quarterfinals I don't particularly love, but it does feel a little bit like a necessary evil. We will play one game on Tuesday, December 31st. That'll be the Fiesta Bowl. Now, You have probably listened to me at some point or another in the last handful of years. I don't like massive, massive games being played on New Year's Eve. I think it takes away from it. I think people naturally are inclined on New Year's Eve to go out. They're not going to be buckled in on their couch, dialing in on college football unless one of their teams is involved. Will there be a casual audience? Sure. But we lose some of that casual audience by playing games on December 31st. But what I love, if I have to punt on December 31st, knowing that I have one game that we just have to put there because you can't play a quadruple header on January 1st, then so be it because I have a triple header 
on January 1st with playoff implications. Now, we've had that in the past, and the numbers reflect incredible viewership. Why? Because January 1st, I don't care if it's a Wednesday, I don't care if it's a Friday, I don't care what day of the week it is, January 1st is a holiday for college football. And to know that it's arguably our biggest day in the sport, knowing that it's in line with a triple header, three television windows that will all feature college football playoff games is something that I am thrilled about. I'm glad we're prioritizing that game. I'm glad we're prioritizing that day. And we are maximizing the amount of quality football that we will consume on the biggest day of the sport. It's a holiday, man. Mark it on your calendar. January 1st of 2025, triple header, quarterfinal games. It's going to be off the charts good. Yes, I wish that we could fit all four of our playoff games being played in that round of the playoffs. I wish we could fit them all in to one day, but it's just not going to happen unless you kick off at 10 a.m. Kick off at 10 a.m., 2, 6, and 10. It's the only way you're going to be able to figure that out. It's just not feasible. So put one right there where it needs to be on Friday or on, excuse me, on New Year's Eve on Tuesday in this particular case, Tuesday, December 31st of 2024. Then you get a triple header starting at noon, 4, and 8 p.m. on January 1st. It's going to be incredible. I can't wait for that. Moving on to the semifinals. We are once again running away from the NFL, which I can live with, and I'll explain why. The games are on Thursday, January 9th, and Friday, January 10th. They'll be at the Orange Bowl, and the Cotton Bowl, respectively. Now, why am I not that bothered by these games? Because I feel like Thursday night is a massive opportunity. Amazon's recognized this by investing in Thursday night NFL football. The NFL at this point is already onto their playoff schedule, so they're going to be playing on Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays at this point of the postseason. Thursdays and Fridays, however, are available. Now, I still think we should go toe-to-toe with the NFL and play on Saturdays, but I know I'm going to lose that battle. I can live with games that are played on Thursday and Friday. Yes, is Friday going to be a work day? Yes. Is it going to hurt to wake up after watching games deep into the night on Thursday night? Yes. Do I care? No. Why? Because I love college football, and at this stage of the season... I have only three games left. I'll sacrifice a little sleep on Friday, January 10th, because I stayed up a little bit too late on Thursday, January 9th. Those are the semifinal games. I love that we have that. We're avoiding the NFL, and we're not necessarily sacrificing the viewership that we might leave on the table by playing games during the week. And then finally, the national championship will be played on Monday, just a couple of Mondays later. So about 10, 12 days or so between the semifinal games and the national championship. think the schedule makes a ton of sense. And then for the 2025 season, the first rounds on December 19th and 20th, yet again, a Friday and Saturday. The quarterfinals, you have the Cotton Bowl, which will be played on the 31st. And then you have Orange, Rose, and Sugar being played on January 1st. The semifinals will be January 8th at the Fiesta Bowl, January 9th at the Peach Bowl, and then the national championship will be Monday, January 19th from Miami. Here's where we're at right now. 
Okay, that's where things are today. Now, the New Year's Six Bowl games, the Fiesta, the Rose, the Sugar, the Orange, the Peach, and the Cotton, those six bowl games contract with the college football playoff and the college football playoff, they expire after the 2025-2026 season. Now, that means that in 2026, after a two-year focus group, if you will, of evaluating what works, what doesn't, what should we change, what should we not change, we get to wipe the slate clean starting in 2026. So let's not lose our mind just yet by saying, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate that, because we only need to, I guess, live with this current format for two seasons. I'm good with it. Here's, however, what I already am thinking about as we continue to move forward. There is already growing support amongst athletic directors and people kind of within the industry that are obviously recognizing the value of a home field environment. The value of having a home playoff game where teams are forced to go play outside their comfort zone and those teams that are ranked one, two, three, and four that received that first round by, they should receive the benefit of having a superior regular season. They should also receive the benefit beyond that of a first round by, they should be able to host their first playoff game in their home stadium. We've already seen athletic director Joe Castiglione of Oklahoma. We've seen other athletic directors come out and absolutely support the movement of the quarterfinal round, the second round to be played on campus. Y'all, what we have in college football, our quality of play, if you look at just between the white lines, the execution offensively and defensively, the quarterback play, the spectacular plays that are made throughout the course of a 60-minute game, we, uh, we know we know that if we go toe-to-toe, With the NFL, based on quality of play, we will lose. We will. The NFL has better players, they have better teams, and the execution level is superior. But what makes us different? What makes the experience that is college football different? It's not the plays. It might be the style of offenses, if that's kind of what you're looking at. The tempo, the adjustments, the the 18, 19-year-old kids that are just out there giving it their best shot. Yeah, I love all that part of it too. But you know what makes us really different? The pageantry that comes with when we take the field, the traditions that we have that have been passed down from generation to generation, the rituals that we have as far as tailgating is concerned. All those aspects to me make college football the most consumable product in the world. So why are we forcing on the biggest possible stage, on what could be the biggest day of the college football calendar, the quarterfinal quartet, where you have a game on January 30 or on December 31st and a triple header on January 1st. Like I love the Rose Bowl too. I love the Sugar Bowl. I love all these things. I love all the traditions that the bowl games bring. But you know what I love more? Home field environments. And I want to continue to protect the regular season and give the teams that receive that first round by the ultimate reward by not only getting that first round by, but also being able to host a team in their first playoff game of the season that year.
I hate the idea that right now, let's think about Georgia since they're the alpha dog right now in college football. Right now, in its current format, Georgia could run the table in the SEC, could win the SEC championship, and never host a college football playoff game in Athens, Georgia. What about Ann Arbor? What about Columbus? What about Tuscaloosa? What about Austin, Texas? What about Miami, Florida? What about all these places, Tallahassee, you name it, Gainesville, Salt Lake City, the Coliseum in Los Angeles? What about all these incredible venues that might not host a college football playoff game? Now, I love the bowl world. I love that I grew up watching the BCS and now the New Year's Six and all this other stuff. I love the bowl season. It used to be so incredibly important and remains important in my eyes because I'm a traditionalist. But I am not going to ignore the fact that what we can create in our home fields is superior than that of the bowl season, let alone the cost For the fans that want to make that nomadic journey to watch their team chase a championship, you're now expecting them to travel in the quarterfinals. You're expecting them to travel in the semifinals. And you're expecting them to travel in the championship game. And I'm sorry, as someone that has two kids under the age of four, taking them to some of these games as a fan, I flat out couldn't afford to do it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that feel the exact same way. Hey, we want to go, but you know what? Frankly, we just can't justify going to three different neutral site environments and traveling to three different neutral site environments to support my team. I want to do it. I wish I could. I just can't because financially, it's just too much on the family. And then the final thing that I want to see adjusted, move the quarterfinal games into home field environments. The final thing I want to see adjusted, y'all, we've tried it. We've done it. I've supported it. And I understand why it is where it is. But the national championship game being played on Monday, to me, needs to be punted upon. I get it. The reason why they play the national championship game on Monday is that fans can travel to the bowl site, the championship game site, on Friday, have a whole weekend of festivities with concerts and fan fest and activations and parties and all these other amazing things in the days leading up to the ultimate event that is the national championship. But we're talking about maybe 100,000 people. When there are 15 to 20 million that will likely tune into the national championship game, we are going to adjust the calendar to make sure that we can accommodate the 100,000 people that are lucky enough to have tickets. I don't subscribe to that thought. I look at the bigger picture. I want to see these championship games. I don't necessarily want to see them go toe-to-toe with the NFL. I don't want to see them in the national championship game head-to-head against an NFL divisional championship game. I don't want to see it. But i tell you what I would like to see. Played on a Thursday night. When I played in the national championship, we played on a Thursday night. Thursday night, people can work on Thursday. They can wake up. Hey, you're a little groggy on Friday. So be it. Just got one day of the work week to survive before you get to the weekend. Play the championship game on Thursday night. If we have to play it during the week, if that is a non-starter as far as our postseason calendar is concerned, play it on Thursday night. Enough of the Mondays. I get that we have that whole weekend leading up to it. I understand it. 
I get that it's good for business. It's good for the Visitors Bureau and all these other places that are hosting these events. I know they made these bids and you want to bring people to your community. You want them to spend their hard-earned money in your community leading up to the national championship. But guess what? That's 100,000 people. For the 15 to 20 million that are watching at home, I want it to be a viewer-friendly experience. And I think Thursday, by far, makes the most sense if we have to play during the week. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Like always, we want to get into our mailbag as often as we possibly can. Continue sending in your questions, alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com, or you can submit them on social media, alwayscfb on both Instagram and on Twitter. Coops, where are we going today? First one comes from Las Vegas, and Paul, he says, let's hear your two or three favorite out-of-conference games coming up early this season. My obvious guess is LSU versus Florida State. That one certainly makes the cake. In no particular order, all three of these games, I think, have legitimate college football playoff implications, not just for one team, but for both teams. Might give you an indicator as to where I feel about you know some of these teams. Let's start with the aforementioned matchup of LSU and Florida State. That game was phenomenal last year. I was fortunate enough to be on the call for it. You guys probably remember, if you watched Always College Football, we did it from the booth before that game and after that game, I might add. So it was a lot of fun to be on broadcast team for that. It'll be on Sunday again, standalone window on ABC. Should be an incredible game down there in Orlando. LSU, I don't know if there was a team last year that overachieved or improved more from week one to where they were at the end of the season. Now, was it without a couple issues? Sure, Tennessee game, forgettable. The performance against Texas A&M, disappointing. But either way, Brian Kelly clearly has LSU on the right track, and their team's loaded, man. Returning quarterback, returning and young offensive line, emerging, experienced, super talented playmakers offensively. They've returned their two best defensive players from a year ago. You've got to like a lot of what you bring back. And conversely, Florida State, returning quarterback, experienced playmakers, dynamic run game, an improved offensive line. Jared Verse on defense, three levels of great defenders and new additions via the portal. These are two teams that should be ranked in the least the top 12 going into the 2023 season. So that game stands out. Let's go to Texas and Alabama. Alabama right now, the consensus number two team in the SEC. I think some people might have LSU in the conversation, but for the most part, People have Georgia one, people have Alabama at number two, LSU, according to most, because the games in Tuscaloosa, they would have them as 
the number three team. Alabama faces Texas. That game came down to the wire last year. Texas has everything that you could possibly want. Hopefully, Quinn Ewers looks like the guy that was on the field at the beginning of the season last year, not the guy that was on the end of the year. He didn't play as well down the stretch, but if he can regain his form, clearly looks more confident based on his spring game performance, given the fact that Steve Sarkeesian has already put his stamp of approval on him as QB1 for the Longhorns, but they have excellent playmakers. Isaiah Nayer's back healthy. Got to fill the void that is Bijan Robinson, but either way, Texas across the board should be drastically improved. The roster is excellent. They should be probably the favorite going in to the season for the Big 12 title. And Alabama on the other side, got to replace the quarterback spot. Of course, this game will be early in the season in Tuscaloosa, but good, solid playmakers. The defense at all three levels should be very, very solid. So a few things that they need to iron out for sure, but Alabama in Tuscaloosa hosting the Longhorns should be an incredible matchup. And then finally, I'm going to go with Ohio State and Notre Dame. Ohio State last year, of course, second half, Put the clamps down defensively, limited Tyler Buckner and company. But for the most part, Ohio State offensively, not the type of juggernaut performance that any of us anticipate. A lot of us looked at it and said, man, Notre Dame played well that day. Played well on defense, at least. They just couldn't punch it in when they crossed the 50, and they couldn't put together enough drives offensively to get the job done. Now they host the Buckeyes in what should be one of the biggest non-conference games in recent history. All right, next question came from Twitter, from Scott. He asks, there's so much talk about Colorado and all the players entering the transfer portal, but there's little to no talk about the players Dion told they are no longer on the team because they are not good enough. What happens to their scholarship? Now, as far as I understand it, once you enter the portal after a semester or two, you are no longer on scholarship. That, that is understand. That is your choice as a player to enter the portal. Now, if you are, quote, cut from your team and every place is a little bit different, your scholarship will be honored, but you will not be a part of the football team. So it's your determination as a player. Do I want to go elsewhere, potentially forfeit my scholarship in pursuit of playing time and the opportunity to continue my career? Or do I want to stay at Colorado, retain my scholarship and finish my college experience as a normal college student. So those are one of the two options. What's going on at Colorado? Sounds like they're honoring the scholarships, but they're not necessarily guaranteed to be a part of the team. Sounds like they're kind of following in line with what teams have done in the past. So good question. It seems ruthless, but in the era of NIL, man, this is par for the course. It's professional football in a lot of ways. You can earn money, you can make money on your name, image, and likeness, but you're not guaranteed a roster spot at any point because they, we are moving more in the direction of, hey, the roster is going to turn over if it's not up to stuff. So be interesting to see how this thing follows, what the long-term ramifications might be for Deion Sanders and company. But either way, I, I think that they're trying to turn over the roster of a team that was terrible last year. So it's kind of understandable that they're going about it this way. All right, and the last question, and it's never too early for playoff hypotheticals in my mind. All right, this one comes from Austin in Georgia. What would the committee do if we had a five conference champions with undefeated records? Who do they leave out in the last year of the 14 playoff? Here's the scenario. Clemson, undefeated. 
Georgia, undefeated. Texas, undefeated. Michigan, undefeated. USC, undefeated. Who are the four in and who's left out? I think it ultimately depends on where these teams are with their non-conference. We saw a situation that was somewhat similar. Now, it's it's not I not identical, but look in 2014, Baylor and TCU were left out in favor of Ohio State. Ohio State that year had obviously run the gauntlet, had had some very impressive wins, did lose to Virginia Tech. They ultimately went on to win the national championship, but challenged themselves against Navy, challenged themselves against Virginia Tech. They had a pretty solid non-conference schedule, even though they lost that game to Virginia Tech. I think in this instance, Clemson would have had a win against Notre Dame. SC would have a win against Notre Dame. Michigan would have a win against Ohio State. Texas would have a win against the Alabama Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa. So you look at all those non-conference, the only team that doesn't have a real strong non-conference schedule would be Georgia. But ultimately, Georgia's the defending champ. And I would imagine that based on their resume, their eye test would look pretty dang impressive. I think all things being equal, the team that would be left out would probably be Clemson at this point. It's not a foregone conclusion. It just depends on how they win and how they look. Look, hypotheticals, first of all, this isn't going to happen. You're not going to have five undefeated conference champions in the Power Five. We've never seen anything like it, never even close to it. So it's not going to happen. Don't sweat it. But I think it just depends how strong is your league. The Big Ten champion is getting in, especially if they're undefeated. The SEC champion is getting in, especially if they're undefeated. How do you measure the ACC versus the Big 12 versus the Pac-12? I think that's pretty much how it all sorts itself out. If every single one of those three teams, Texas, SC, and Clemson, are all getting by by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin and barely winning games, then it would be a difficult thing to probably prognosticate. Who's healthy? Did someone lose an important piece along the way, a la last year when Hendon Hooker went down for Tennessee? Were they penalized as a result? Had they won out and they were up against a team that was fully healthy, would they have gotten the benefit of the doubt? I don't know those things, but the committee has said in years past that being healthy does matter. How's the team closing? Are they playing their best football in the final month of the season? Have they improved? Where are they at as far as you know playoff experience in the past? I think all those things are a factor, but the only thing that I can say with certainty at this point is that I don't think that there is a realistic possibility under the sun that would have a college football playoff without an undefeated SEC and an undefeated Big Ten champions. Those two teams are in. The other three spots would be up to the other three leagues. It just depends on how you look in some of those games against other quality opponents. All right, final thought, a couple of interesting news and notes for the college football world over the last handful of days. Former Michigan State quarterback Peyton Thorne has officially announced his intent to transfer to Auburn. Two-year starter for Mel Tucker and the Spartans. Of course, we all remember back when he led the Spartans to an 11-win New Year's Six Bowl victory back in the 21 season. He looked really good that year. 27-10, and 10, touchdown interception ratio, 3,200 yards. Really did a good job complementing that run game 
with Kenneth Walker. The following year, that running game wasn't quite as consistent. There were more examples in which he had to kind of carry the team and try some things that weren't always in the team's best interest. He, as a result, kind of faltered just a little bit. But with how Auburn's likely moving offensively, got to anticipate Philip Montgomery, the new offensive coordinator. Everyone's talking about Hugh Freeze and his offensive acumen. Hugh Freeze has always scored points, whether it be at Liberty or at Ole Miss. He's always scored points. But by all accounts, he's delegating responsibility to Philip Montgomery, the new offensive coordinator for the Auburn Tigers. And if you look at Philip Montgomery's tenure as the head coach at Tulsa, they're a team that wants to pound the football. Go back and look at the 21 season when they averaged 40-plus carries a game. Go look at 2018. 48 carries a game. Granted, not necessarily always great when it comes to wins and losses in his time as a head coach, but you knew what their identity was. They wanted to pound the football. They wanted to run the football. They wanted to complement the run game with the play-action pass, and that's what Peyton Thorne has excelled with in the past. I expect him to have a really nice year. Now I just need to find out with Auburn, what does their personnel look like at wide receiver? Offensive line should be improved. Running game should continue to be good, but you got to have some dudes at wide receiver that can win one-on-ones. And right now, that is the biggest question mark surrounding the Auburn Tigers heading into the season. Another really interesting piece, Chris Kleiman has officially announced an extension with Kansas State. It's an eight-year deal that runs through 2030 where he will be paid $44 million. Now he's 30 and 20, in his first four years at Kansas State. That's the most wins, though, by a Kansas State head coach in their first four years in school history. And every full season since Chris Kleiman took over, they've won at least eight games. Now, they did go four and six during the COVID year of 2020. So I kind of throw that one out. Clearly, this is a guy that understands how to win. He's got four national championships to his credit while at North Dakota State and has a track record for winning in his time there with the Bison. He's expected to be among the top half of the coaches as far as salary is concerned in the Big 12, and the pay raise is about $1.5 million a year. You want my opinion? I think he's grossly underpaid. I really believe this. Now, if you tell me right now, if I had a job opening and I had endless pockets, Chris Kleiman's on the list. I think this guy is phenomenally good. He's a great football coach. Now, if he got a big-time job that's going to pay $10 million a year, would he be able to recruit the way he wants to recruit, where he's going to find the right pieces for what he wants to be? I don't know. But I do know this. This guy can coach some football. And at $44 million over the next eight, I think this is a great move for Kansas State to lock him down for the future because I don't think it's going to get a whole heck of a lot better than Chris Kleiman to me right now. He's a top 10 coach in college football today, which says an awful lot about what I think of him and the program that he's already created there in Manhattan, Kansas. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We have so enjoyed the offseason up to this point. We're going to continue to press on. Got some big picture discussions we want to address here in the coming weeks. So a lot that we need to get to continue to lock in here every single week with Always College Football. For Jake, for Jack, for Mark, I'm Greg. We hope you have an incredible day and we look forward to seeing you next time on Always College Football. 
Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.